to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose, when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the word of the Lord. Happy New Year, everybody. Oh, come on. Happy New Year, everybody. Let us go to the Lord in prayer and ask for his blessing upon his word. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for everything, the music, the ability to worship. We thank you for all these things. And we pray that you would continue your blessing upon us as we hear your word. May it impact us, change us. Make us see you more and more. Father, for that is the goal. We don't want to just merely learn lessons or learn uh, different things to improve our lives. We want to meet you. And we want to change through that, through our encounter with our Lord and Savior. So may we experience you during this time. Be with me as I preach your truths. Be with your people as they hear your words. And together, may we be blessed and give glory unto your name. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1989, I was in my room in sunny California pondering life. I had six years of life under my belt, and I began to wonder what was the meaning of life. And one realization I came to pretty early on was that I was lonely. I was lonely, and so I marched over to my parents' room, and I said, you know what I really want? I want a baby brother. And they looked at me, and they thought it was funny for the, fir uh, the first time I had mentioned it, but after a couple of months of badgering my parents for a baby brother, I guess they decided maybe they should comply. I don't know what the conversation was like, but to my surprise, on my seventh birthday, they sat me down and they said, you will be getting your baby brother. My parents knew that I wanted this brother. They knew how much I just wanted to play with somebody and be with somebody and have someone to share secrets with or, or to play with. And they knew that this was a genuine desire of mine, not just simply a whim of feeling. And so they gave me the opportunity to name my brother. They did not pick the name. I did. 
And so I chose the name Jonathan, which means the gift from God. Now, that's not the reason I chose the name. I had no idea what Jonathan meant. I chose the name because I had a cool uh, friend, and she said, hey, Jonathan's a cool name. And I said, that's cool. I'm naming him Jonathan. But when I found out the origin of the name after years my brother had been born, I was so grateful because truly he is a gift from God. And ever since to this day, I have loved him. And every time I see him, I realize he is a gift from God and I love him so. I tell this story to you because, not because everyone will share this same story, but I want you to hear this birth narrative and experience the same kind of joy I experienced when my brother was born. My hope is not that you would share the experience, but that you would have a greater joy in knowing that a baby was born for you. You may not have been asking for it. You have, may not even been wanting it, but this baby was born for you. And my hope is that after we go through this text, that you would have unbridled joy of our Savior being born. Now, I know I'm talking to a mixed crowd. There are those of you who have known Jesus your entire life. And so I, all I'm asking from you today is to remember when you first encountered Jesus, to remember that joy. And for those of you who may not know Jesus, I urge you to meet him, to begin to pray during the sermon that you would encounter who he is and that you would experience the great joy that many people over centuries have experienced of knowing. We're going to go over this text and we're going to see how three different parties responded to the birth of Jesus. We have Herod and how he responds to the birth of Jesus. And we have the chief priests and scribes and how they respond to the birth of Jesus. And then the Magi. And my hope is that all of us would have the same reaction as the Magi as they encounter the birth of our Lord and Savior. So first, when Herod is sitting in his court and in his chamber, three Magi walk into the room and their first question to him is, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? And rather than jump with excitement, it says that King Herod was troubled. Why was he troubled? This word does not mean simply that he was a little bit disturbed. It means that there was great anxiety that arose in him when the Magi had come to his courts. Now, you have to understand, the Magi are not Jewish people. They don't know the history of anything going on. They're simply coming because they've studied the stars and they've realized that the king of the Jews has been born here in Israel. And so they come innocently asking King Herod, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Now, the question we should ask ourselves is, why was Herod troubled? Now, this was, um, I didn't know this about King Herod, but he has a fascinating history. And lucky for us, there is all this information of Herod, and not just Herod, but his whole entire family tree, and it's amazing. Uh, I don't have time to go into it, but you should read about his father, Antipater the Edomite, how he positioned himself so well and perfectly in the Roman Empire that he set his son up perfectly 
to get this throne um, of Israel. Herod was positioned as an elite person in the Hashmonian dynasty, which was the dynasty that ruled Israel before King Herod came. And through some politic and maneuvering and luck, Herod was set up to eventually take the throne. And what happened was Herod went back to Rome and he said, there's um, turmoil within this dynasty. What should we do? And the Roman Senate got together and they said, we are going to make you king. And with the backing of Mark Antony, and hopefully you guys remember Mark Antony and Cleopatra, that great love story. Mark Antony was his boy. And he said, you will rule Jerusalem and Israel. And Herod, amazed, said, okay. And for three years, he went back and tried to take the throne, and eventually he prevailed. But here was the problem with Herod as king. Everybody knew that he was not the rightful king. And how did they know that? Because they had the Old Testament scriptures, and everyone knew that the Old Testament scriptures said the person who is rightfully king comes from the line of David. But we know that Herod doesn't come from the line of David. His father is an Edomite. His mother is Jewish. He was never going to be fully accepted by the Jewish people. And it shows in throughout his life, his whole family had plotted to take back the throne because he married into a Jewish family and, and he wanted to appease the Jewish people, but they never saw him really as one of their own. He ends up killing three of his sons. He kills his wife because they all want his throne. And for the rest of his life, he had to maintain the power that he had established for himself till his dying day. He fought hard to sit on that throne. So when the Magi come in and simply ask, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We can understand why Herod would say, oh, finally, yes, the real king is here. And why do I go into detail about the story of King Herod? Because people never meet Jesus in a vacuum. We can point the finger at Herod, but what I see is that each, everyone has a Herod inside of us. Why we won't fully accept Jesus as king, it's a huge declaration. Herod has worked his whole life to amass this power. He, his father... His brothers, his cousins have built this empire so that he may sit on this throne. And Jesus often comes to those people. People with a great family legacy who have never been Christian. People who have worked hard at their jobs and worked hard at their families. And for Jesus simply to come and say, I am king, people respond and say, who do you think you are? And so I don't want us to simply dismiss Herod. I want us to see ourselves in Herod. There is a, a, a disdain for Jesus at times because we don't want him to be king. And his reaction is of anybody who is unwilling to give up power. His desire ultimately is to kill the newborn king. We find this out in verse 16. He calls up the Magi and he says, hey, can you tell me when you began to see this star? 
And the Magi apparently tells them that it's been there for two years and it's only now that they have made their way here. And so we find out in verse 16, Herod makes a decree to kill all boys who are born, who are two years and younger. He wants to ensure his throne. You see, Herod was trying his whole life to maintain the power that he possessed. And my hope is that you would not reject Jesus for this reason. For some of you, you may be hearing Jesus for the first time, and the thought of Jesus being king may be absurd to you. But I would ask that you would hold on and not reject Christ so quickly. Every single human being has a throne in their heart, and something occupies it. What occupies it for you today? Is it money? Is it your job? Is that what occupies the throne in your heart? And you have to ask yourself, is that king that you serve ultimately delivering for you? So before you reject another king, I'm simply asking to look into your own heart and saying, is that king that you have placed in your own heart working out? My suspicion is that it's not. Not because I know you, is because history shows us that it's not. Money does not satisfy. Family ultimately does not satisfy. Nothing in this world completely satisfies. And so through, through the remaining of the sermon, I just ask that you keep an open heart and an open mind and that you would consider Jesus to be your king because he will deliver whatever you are searching for. But Herod is not the only party in this person to encounter the newborn king. We also have the chief priests and scribes. Now, they are not talked about most times in this narrative. Um, oftentimes, uh, they are forgotten, and rightly so, because they have one line in this whole scene. And they don't even, we don't even get to see their reaction. But it's interesting to see the role that they play. Matthew purposely puts them in there for a reason. And what is that reason? Their first important role is to reveal Scripture to the Magi. And I think this is fascinating in what it says about Scripture. Here, the Magi have traveled 900 miles because they saw a star. And they knew that this star had pointed them to Israel. And they followed it for 900 miles. And they had come to the courts of Israel. Yet they could not find Jesus until when? Until Scripture revealed to them where Jesus was. I just want to pause and reflect on that magnificent moment. All of nature, we always think that this, we always wait for the great miracle to happen, the, the star to move or, or, or the, the lottery to win or, or some kind of miracle. But the true miracle that we see is that the scriptures were presented to the Magi and that was the missing key to finding Jesus. Because they're lost. We've come this far, but we don't know where Jesus is. Can you please tell us? And what do the chief priests and scribes do? They quote Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Oh, we know what you're talking about. You're talking about the Messiah. And here's what they say. It says, but you, O Bethlehem, 
of Judah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth to me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. The chief priests and scribes knew exactly what the Magi were talking about. Amazing. They knew who the king of the Jews were. And then what happens? Nothing. Bethlehem is only six miles away from Jerusalem. They don't even inquire if they can come with the Magi. They just stay. Oh, you're talking about the Messiah? We know it. Here you go. Have fun. Not even report back to us. Not even, hey, can you tell us if it's really the Messiah? There is no inquiry whatsoever. It's only Herod who inquires of the Magi. Hey, if you really find him, can you let me know too? The chief priests and scribes could care less, and this serves as a warning to all those who claim Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. You can know all the theology in the world, but not know Jesus. So you cannot know Jesus without Scripture, but just because you know Scripture does not necessarily mean you know Jesus. You have to still meet with him. And this is a wor good word mainly to pastors and elders who love to study theology. I mean, that's why we're in this, but it's a danger that we may love the theology so much that we may miss the person, the person we long to serve. And for you who have grown up in the church, this can be a danger as well, that we know all the theology, we know all the memory verses, yet we forget who Jesus Christ is. And apathy can grow. And apathy is by no means neutral. You see, King Herod, as he found out, it, it touched a sensitive spot, and he went and tried to kill Jesus, but was una unable to. The real dangerous people are the people who claim to know Scripture, but they don't know Jesus at all, because ultimately, who are the ones that crucified Jesus? The chief priests. John chapter 19, verse 15 says, They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Everyone needs to check their heart. Do not hide behind your upbringing or your knowledge of the Bible. You need to constantly know that you are communing with the person of Jesus. And how do you know that you are communing with the person of Jesus? You should have the response of the Magi. The Magi, who are they? They are people. They are not of Jewish origin. We have no idea where they come from. People have guessed that they are probably Babylonians, so they have no real knowledge of Jewish traditions. Um, they are, some people call them magicians. 
because they studied um, the arts, uh, they studied the stars, they tried to predict the future. I like to consider them ancient scientists. That's what they were. They explored the world and they saw the grand design and they tried to interpret it and make sense of it. And they saw the stars and they saw a moving star and whatever question they may have had had, they knew that the answer was found in Israel. They may not even have known what question they were asking. They had just studied and were compelled to study the earth. And when they saw the great design and God intervening, they knew, I don't know what the question is, but the answer is surely in Jerusalem. And so they traveled 900 miles. And finally, after they had heard scripture, they were able to now go and see the baby Jesus. Once the star had stopped right upon the manger, what was their reaction? How do we know that they finally found the Christ? They found joy in their heart. As believers, when we encounter Jesus, there should be joy. Great joy. Not fear. Not anger, not this, this, oh, I hate everything about Christianity. I hate the church. That feeling cannot be there. It cannot be the overriding emotion. It must be joy. It says in verse 10, when the Magi finally knew that they were before the presence of Christ, this is what happened. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. That is the best way that they can translate it. They were so joyous, they were filled with joy. But in the Greek, it's trying to get at something much deeper. They were overwhelmed with joy. They don't even know the question that they were asking, but they knew that this baby was the answer to everything. And so what do they do? They go in. And they see Jesus in the arms of Mary. And what happens when you are filled with great joy? You do what the Magi do. You worship him. We are here today worshiping Jesus because he has given joy to us. And I hope for most of you that you remember the joy that Jesus gives you. Go back to that first time you encountered Christ. Maybe you felt that burden of sin off your heart because you finally realized the ultimate Savior has now forgiven you for all of your sins. Praise be to God, that is still true today. Maybe when you first met Jesus, you finally realized that you do have status in this world. That though the world may tell you that you are a nobody and that you are unloved, you finally begin to realize that the creator of the universe, he loves you. And you felt an overwhelming sense of joy. Or maybe you were like me and my brother, you were extremely lonely. And finally, you found a person who understood your loneliness, your tiredness, and your fatigue. And he says, I will show you the way. I'm asking all of you to remember that joy 
Because that is who we serve. And that is why we worship Jesus. We do not worship Jesus because it is the right thing to do. We worship Jesus because it is the most joyous thing and the only thing we know how to do. And joy and worship are always linked. And I don't have to convince you of that. We have uh, the Super Bowl coming up. We have all these sports events. Have you ever seen them when great and overwhelming joy goes over them? They drop to their knees. No one taught them how to do that. Everyone, if they are overwhelmed by beautiful music or if they are overwhelmed by a beautiful movie, they sometimes close their eyes and sometimes just worship what was before them. That is where we need to get to. We need to see Jesus for who he is so that we are overwhelmed with joy and worship him. And But that's not the only thing that the Magi did. Knowing that this was the king, they also brought gifts. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Oftentimes people leave the faith because they say the church did nothing for me. They often say Jesus did nothing for me. But I want us to see how distorted that is in a relationship. If I left my wife and I simply say because she did nothing for me, we would call me insane and selfish. If I said I left my job because it did nothing for me, I left my children, they did nothing for me, we would see that as grotesque. But people do it all the time, and I'm just telling you this because we are not here worshiping Jesus to see what he can give to us. We are here worshiping Jesus because he loves us and we love him back. And so we are called to give gifts because we love him. Not because he will bless you or in exchange or there will be some transaction. We give to him because we love him. Why do you give things to your loved ones so you get something in return? You give these gifts because you love the person and you want to show them how much you love them. And so I'm calling on all of you, if you're having a trouble giving to Jesus, and that's offering, or that's serving, I don't want you to just serve and hope the feeling comes. I want you to go back to Jesus and find that joy that you first knew when you first met him. Because that Jesus is still the same. And that Jesus still gives joy. And that Jesus still is worthy of praise. He remains the Alpha and the Omega and has not changed. During this time of Epiphany, I would want all of us to reflect on our walk with Christ. I want all of us to remember that great joy of knowing who Jesus is. In this time to give him praise and worship him and to give our gifts knowing that he is the Savior of the world. And that one day when he comes again, there will not be fear or there will not be terror. But once again, we will feel the unbridled joy that these great magi felt. And we will be worshiping him with heaven. And we will be giving him our gifts in person forevermore. Brothers and sisters, let us continue to rejoice. Because the king is here and he's coming. 
one more time. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are our king. Father, I must admit that the world is often strong, and we forget our first love. We forget the joy of serving you. Oftentimes, it will turn into a duty or it will turn into a struggle, and that's okay. But the real prayer is that you would make yourself known to us so that we would remember the joy of knowing you, of seeing you and encountering you. Oftentimes, we try to replace you with other things, but we are thankful that the Holy Spirit continues to work in our hearts and dethrones those idols away and that continually you sit on that throne. We thank you for that reality. May we continually approach the throne of grace and give you all the glory forevermore. Amen.